Hello and welcome to today's Resi podcast. We're talking about modular housing and off-site manufacturing. And I'm joined today by Andrew Prickett, who's the UK Head of Residential at Faithful and Gold, and Tony DiCarlo, who's a founder at Innerspace, which is a modular house builder. And Andrew Prickett, there's been a lot in the press and, and in the political sphere over the last year around how modular housing is the silver bullet for the housing crisis, yet it doesn't really seem to be that much being built in factories. So how much of a silver bullet is it? I'm not sure whether we really have found a silver bullet, whether that be in in manufacturing or or in response to the UK housing crisis at all. But I think it can only help, it can only contribute and bring more people into the industry and and look at new ways of delivering the homes that we really need. And and Tony DiCarlo, in terms of your product and, and inner space, you're, you've got in for planning on, on a big site in, in Cambridge and you're looking at a number of others. Tell us about your product. So it, it's, a volumetric, um, uh, it's a volumetric product. What does that mean? A volumetric product is a, is a, a house that gets produced in modules and they're 95% completed in a factory. So kitchens installed, bathrooms installed, paint on the walls, even wallpaper on the walls, and they come to site as fully fitted units and get craned into position. So it's not flat pack? No, it's not flat pack. And that's one of the one of the big confusions, isn't it, that we see is everyone says, oh, it's flat pack homes. There's a lot of uh, umbrella systems under off-site construction and flat pack is one of them. Uh, we use a volumetric system, which is a, a 3D, three-dimensional house. And, and, and obviously, a, a lot of the key benefits are pretty obvious, aren't they? Because if you're building something in a factory in temperature that is controlled, you're not on a wet, miserable building site in the middle of November with no radio and, and no warmth and you're having to go upstairs and climb things, which are generally pretty poor environments to work in. So there's obviously that benefit. But in terms of your designs and, and the actual product you're creating, how, how does that differ from the historic prefabs that newsreels always bang on about? So whenever ever we do any work in this area, there's always that risk that the BBC or ITV are going to pull out that crappy, grainy footage from uh, World War about prefab homes. And it's, it's obviously a battle that, that we, we've been trying to fight. But how does the product look better and different? What's the actual outcome for consumers? I think it's a real shame that people are still comparing it to, to post-war prefabricated homes. Uh, technology has come on a long, long way. And the houses of today that are getting produced off-site are far superior to anything that's that's been built in a factory previously and and superior to what's getting built traditionally as well in many senses. I think I'd probably agree with Tony there. I think the challenge moving forward is we need a level of standardisation in the product to, to drive the, the manufacturing and, and off-site. But nobody wants to live in a standard home. We want to engage innovation and we want to have some design flair. We want to make people excited about these new homes they're going to move into. And, and, and Andrew Prickett, that if, if the market's going to move, we're going to need a, a huge level of investment and we're going to need a huge level of certainty of that demand. And that presumably could come from councils, from housing associations who... In a, in a market that is quite volatile, let's be honest about it, um, those guys tend to, tend to be pretty consistent, don't they? 
Yeah, that's right. We're working with a number of councils up and down the country. We've got uh, an exciting project underway at the minute with Manchester City Council, for example. George Clark's involved with that, isn't he? Uh, I understand so, yeah. And um, we will have seen, you know, the the whole drive and his programme around uh, affordable housing and and the... council houses of the future and what that might look like. And what a Manchester thing, because I mean, they've, they've been a very progressive city council, haven't they, in many respects. The development in Manchester has been uh, extensive over the last five years, particularly with, with a lot of the build-to-rent projects like Mode Living's scheme there and, and many of the other investments there from people like LNG. So what are the, what are the city council doing and, and what's your role in that? Uh, so we're working with the city council to help them deliver the new council houses of the future. Uh, as you say, they're, they're a very progressive council. Um, they recognise what's been done traditionally, but they always have their eyes open to look at new innovation, new technology, um, what, what like, might the home and the house building industry look like in 10, 20, 30 years. So. And, and what would your message be to other councils who might be sitting there going, oh, that looks a little bit risky. I'm going to wait and see for five years and see if they fall down or not. Uh, how, what would your message be to other people that, that might be sitting on the fence? Excuse the pun. I, th- I think my concern for those sitting on the fence is, uh, you know, a lot's changing. The industry's really moving at pace and, and we'll see some massive changes in the next, in the next five years. And if I was a council member or if I was uh, living in an area, I'd want to be at the forefront of that and benefiting from that as early as possible. And and, and Tony DiCarlo, is it not some risk? I mean, obviously, you guys are an SME developer. Um, Why would I take a punt with you guys? Why would I bring you in to build my homes when I could use a safe, a safe listed volume house builder that... I know is going to deliver stuff and they've been doing it for, for donkey's years and they've got shareholders that, that have confidence. What, what's, you know, tell, me, tell me how we overcome that risk. So first and foremost, on Andrew's previous point, I, I think with councils and with, with housing in general, I think we should always be forward-looking and not, not backwards-looking. But in, in regards to us as a company, I mean, we're hugely excited. We're hugely excited about producing better homes. What but, does that mean? Because, I mean, everyone says that. There's no one that would sit here and say we're going to build worse homes. No, so better homes that improve the lives of people on the planet. Planet being 60% carbon footprint reduction and, and people being enhancing the experience and the well-being of living in a home by giving more light, better air quality, more storage for buggies and decant areas. Things that, are, that need to be thought through in a house that a lot of volume house builders just aren't doing. And that's because a lot of what they're designing is, is the same old crap that's always been done, isn't it? It's because they're price-focused and not customer-focused. And, and what does that mean? I mean, it sounds like a great marketing spiel, but what does that actually mean for the end users? If I'm a, a young family buying one of your homes in Cambridge, what am I going to get that I wouldn't get by, by simply going to the market and getting a, a standard house? It means your front door won't open up into a a kitchen or a lounge area. It'll open up into a decant area that you can take your muddy shoes and coats off. You've got storage to put your buggy in for that a young family needs. Uh, It's those little touches that help improve people's lives. And they're they're, they're simple design elements that just are are brought in at the beginning of the process. And and in terms of the build, um, obviously you're building stuff in a factory. Tell us about the factory. Where, where, where is the factory? Where does all the, the, the material come from? What, what, what are we building out of? So we have an agnostic system. So we own our own manufacturing product, but we, we 
take that to a manufacturer of our choice. So we have five current manufacturers in the UK that we can take it to. And we can, uh, by holding an agnostic system, we can alleviate some of the manufacturing supply issues. So it means you don't have the same capacity constraints that others might have if they tap out. That's correct. That's correct. If one manufacturer is full, we can take our system to somewhere else. And, and, and Andrew Prickett, that's one of the big issues in this market, isn't it? It's capacity. It's everyone selling the dream and, and talking about stuff in the media and Property Week. Every week you see loads of big deals happening. But actually, when it comes down to it, there isn't the capacity there to do more than about 20,000 homes a year, is there? Uh, that's right. And year on year, we're falling behind government targets for delivering new homes. So... Um, we're seeing the gap between uh, the homes we need to deliver, the population rise, and the capacity issues in the supply chain growing. And um, also, we're about to kick all the construction workers out of the country. Well, I'm, I'm really concerned about the skills shortage, whether that's the existing construction workers in the country or attracting you know, new and young people into this sector. Uh, how are we going to compete for the best talent uh, coming out of the schools and universities. What, and and how, how do you do that as a business? Them? I mean, obviously, Faith and Gold's a, a pretty large business and you cover a lot of ground and, and, and you've got a, a numerous top-tier clients. Obviously, resourcing stuff, you've got to find the best people in the market. What are the challenges that you, that you face as a business? That's right. We're, we're a people-driven business, so, so we really need to look after our people. We need to give them excellent places of work. We need to give them flexibility uh, of work uh, and we've we've worked hard at that around uh, the actual office spaces we have but also the technology that allows people to work from home work remotely be more agile to fit in around their other lifestyle requirements and and in terms of the the tech that's now moving the industry forward obviously the the pm and qs world is, is evolving and and the technology platforms that we're seeing will change the face of that sector quite considerably, won't they? How are you as a business looking to adapt with that technology shift? So we've brought in uh, people with expertise. So we've took people from the car manufacturing industry, as an example, who, who are quite tech savvy. Um, we've got working groups where we have a mentoring situation, but we also uh, mentor bottom up as well as top down because we find a lot of our uh, younger employees are more tech savvy than probably people like myself. Uh, and it's really important to recognise what we can learn from that generation and how they can inform us of what they want and how the world's going to be going forward. And, and that's, that's an important point, isn't it, Tony DiCarlo? Because in, in many respects, in most industries, when you, when you look at uh, a company's website, it'll go, we've got 150 years experience and they'll look at the five board members that are all been around for donkey's years and they add it together and they have these meaningless phrases that say, we've got 150 years experience. But actually, with something as fast moving as this, it's really only the last few years experience that matter, isn't it? because stuff is moving so quickly in terms of the product and the technology evolving. So how are you guys, as, as, a, as an SME developer, how are you harvesting the right people and how are you developing your own technology to, to, to really move forward quickly? It, it's, it's hard. It's, we're, we're working in, a, in, a, in a, a, still a fragmented and siloed market, but we've been doing off-site, for, off-site construction for over three years now and we've used a variety of systems. So... We've put our, uh, you know, we're, we're doing what we say we want to do. We believe in off-site. So we're just trying to do as many developments as we can to get the experience that we can. 
And and what um, what have been some of the interesting lessons that you've learned along that journey? Because obviously lots of people are looking at it, but but are still sort of sitting on the fence, as, as we've said. What have what have been some of the learnings along the way with the, with the business? I think the process is is probably what scares people most, and, and it's a lack of knowledge of the process because it is. Uh, it isn't construction, it's a hybrid of manufacturing and construction, so it's a different process which most people don't understand. But it, it, And it, crucially, it is a bit of both, because some people look at it and think, oh, it's all manufacturing, but actually, unless you've got that construction, design and architectural knowledge, it doesn't matter how fantastic you're on the processes. No, that's that's correct. And there's we've got a saying... Uh, you know that the manufacturers are from Venus and 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 developers are from Mars, and that's that's the bridge that really needs to be overcome to get any any quantum with offsite construction is is bridging that gap between how manufacturers talk and how a, a house builder or a, a developer talks, and that's that's the missing link at the moment. And 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 thinking about the actual coming back to the product and and and, and the outcomes there from a from a local community perspective. What are some of those other benefits? Because again, if you think about planning and you think about a lot of the, the nimbyism that exists, much of that is quite fair, isn't it, in some respects? The noise and disruption that occurs, the poor quality design that people have to suffer and the lack of affordability of what's constructed is often what puts people off. So how, how are you working to alleviate some of those fundamental concerns? We've got a better product than most products out there, highly sustainable product. Um, so, What does that mean? So again, highly sustainable, tell me what that means because that's... Our premium houses reduce a carbon footprint on running costs by 60%. They reduce the energy usage by up to 60%. And that's because they're built in a factory and they could be better sealed so that there's less leakage. That's because as a company, our moral compass is, is one of sustainability. So we use the benefits of off-site construction and we combine that with the benefits of modern sustainable technology like air source heat pumps. And when we put them together, we produce a, a highly sustainable product. And how does that work? How does an air source heat pump actually help? What does it do? Tell us what it does. An air source heat pump is pretty much a fridge in reverse so instead of cooling air it heats air um it's it, it we eliminate gas in all the properties and an air source heat pump is highly efficient at converting converting energy essentially air into energy for every kilowatt it of energy it consumes it produces three or four kilowatts of energy as opposed to uh, a traditional gas boiler which for every kilowatt it consumes it outputs 0.87 i think and that's so. quite a key thing now we've, we've obviously consumers are now more savvy to this stuff they are focusing a lot more we had the riba calling a climate emergency we've had a number of the big property firms doing the same uh, and, and, and andrew prickett to what degree is this a, is, is should this be a big selling point for councils and for other institutional investors that are by their very DNA, needing to be more sustainable. Well, well I think there's there's two routes on that. Really, there's there's the points Tony's talked about uh, around the sustainability of of the product uh, and what the end user will feel uh, and touch and see. But also, there's the whole process of um, less waste in the supply chain, less disruption to the neighbourhoods that we're building in. And that's because you can use digital tools to design it, and basically, it's as simple as the amount of material you're cutting can be well, absolutely well, bespoke. You can look at designing in a precision manufacturing way, building um, with materials being delivered to the factory, pre-cut, sized appropriately, 
less waste, more productive uh, manufacturing processes. And then when you bring that to the construction site, the pace of construction means less deliveries, less people, better health and safety, less disruption to the neighbours and their existing tenants from previous phases. That's, that's right. It's, uh, our houses go through a DFMA, so Design for Manufacturing Assembly, and that means that each plasterboard on, on the wall is is designed to be a, for the maximum efficiency and the least waste. So we, we automatically cut out a lot of waste in the design process. And, and tell us about some of the plans that you've lodged. I mean, you've lost a really exciting scheme in Cambridgeshire uh, recently um, that, that's going to be one of your first big developments. What could the local people expect from that? A lot less disruption. We, <laughs> we have... We put in an application for 40 houses, uh, which unfortunately has been just refused, but it would have been 112 modules and we would have installed uh, the modules in 28 days. So that's how quick quick the development could have, the the house building element of the development could have taken. And in terms of of planning policy, um, because it seems the industry is moving quite quickly, but the policy doesn't seem to have caught up. So what could we be doing, Tony DiCarlo, to make planning policy more modern and more reflective of this ability to, to build stuff with less disruption, with better outcomes for consumers? What, what needs to happen to connect all the dots? Because in fairness to the government, uh, the previous Secretary of State, James Brokenshaw, has, has been pretty supportive of this. Kit Morehouse, the previous housing minister, has been pretty supportive. And uh, recently, Esther McVeigh, was photographed in front of one of Ilka's developments with Keepmote Homes. So already the new housing minister is, is already engaged with, with off-site manufacturing, but there is still this disconnect, isn't there, between national idealism and, and local politics? Uh, there is. Uh, in, at central government level, off-site construction and sustainable development is hugely supported. Uh, it, it, they really are backing it, and, and especially with the Paris Accord and having to having to be carbon zero uh, by, you know, uh, by a certain time. So there's, there's really big central government support, but it's not filtering down to local government. And, and it's definitely not filtering down to, lo- to the planning system where it's not even included in the MPPF as well. And that's, that's one of the crucial points, isn't it? That we ideally, Andrew Prickett, need to get to a point where the MPPF, National Planning Policy Guidance Framework, uh, has some kind of prerequisite in there for stuff to be built in factories, or off-site at least. What should it say? That's right, and, and we've seen really good examples, say, in the educational sector, where through um, government and local government, we, we've really pushed to, to move to this sort of build methodology and this build technology, and we probably need a similar policy and similar focus to, to really act as a catalyst to drive this in the residential um, housing sector as well. That's so, a really good example of, of how it can work at, at, at both government, lo- central and local government uh, level. So, so in essence, you could have a pre-assumption that uh, new council houses would be built using this methodology unless there's a, a watertight business case to suggest why you wouldn't do it and you'd, and you'd revert back to the traditional ways of building. And, and Tony DiCarlo, as an SME developer, um, what other stuff could we be doing to better support people like yourselves? Because obviously there have been 
there's uh, been a massacre of, of SME construction development business over the last 20 years. I mean, they've been literally wiped out. And we do have some some positivity in the way of um, some of the funding initiatives and, and debt guarantee schemes we've seen over the last years and Homes England doing some very positive work in that area. But what what could Homes England and, and, and the, the department be doing to target support more at the SME community? Are, is there anything you can think of that, that might better help them? Yes, definitely. Um, funding and land is, is the, are, are our biggest problems. But we're not talking about project-specific funding. We're talking about company funding, you know, money that can enable us to grow our, our business and get key hires in there and, and, and really allow us to grow. And the second is, is land. Land's everyone's problem. Um, but w- w- Homes England are doing a fantastic job. They provide development finance for, for, for developments, for SMEs through their three billion home building fund. And they also uh, amalgamate and, and sell on parcels of land. It's the land side of SME, which I think with Homes England could be doing a bit better on, especially with targeting SMEs for, for it, specifically that are doing off-site. And, and having a red line that says we're going to focus specifically on SMEs for this this section, perhaps. Uh, look, absolutely. Um, we've been in constant, constant contact with them for the last three years. They are trying to unravel uh, how they can get an SME program in there. Um, uh, they're starting to show signs of being able to break up larger sites to allow SMEs to, to tackle a portion of it. But a prime example would be pilot sites for SMEs. I mean that would be crucial to allow, allow us to grow and grow quickly. That's a good point. And, and Andrew Prickett, what would your message be to Boris Johnson, our gracious new leader, uh, in terms of helping uh, on some of the issues that Tony DiCarlo has just mentioned? Uh, I think Tony's right. The access to land and the ability to uh, deliver pilot schemes is, is really important. Um, my message to Boris would be let's scale up though let's let's not make these pilot schemes 10 20 units as we're currently seeing in the market let's really back back these SMEs back these new new thinkers back new innovation and and let's scale up let's let's see some pilot schemes of two three hundred units come into market and that's that's the point isn't it Tony this is about ambition isn't it and and I think your product as well, you, you know, you don't just have a, this isn't just about council homes, is it? You, you have a, a homes that are a range of price points that do different things, that target different markets. And crucially, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's homes for different parts of the market, different quality levels. We've got huge ambitions as a company, and that's, that's based around a lot of housing needs. You think about this, a company that's producing a thousand houses a year as a, as a as a company going back to the sustainability metric, we can uh, we have the equivalent of knocking a hundred cars off the road a year if we're if we're producing a hundred thousand hundred thousand houses a year. So we've got some real that a lot of good positive environmental and social uh, impacts can happen at scale, and that's that's what we need to focus on and getting scale in it. And and I think the point Tony makes there is uh, and you articulated as well, Andrew, is, is the need is not in just one part of housing. There's there's a need for for the sort of social housing, council housing, but there's also a massive need for good quality, sustainable, uh, affordable homes for for those that are already on the housing market looking to make their second purchase or or move home because they've got an expanding family. Uh, the, the needs across the board, and, and we're also seeing a, a big need in um, homes for the elderly. 
you know, the, we're seeing population growth well, in the UK. Household our construction workers that are about to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, yeah. The, the statistics around the sort of average age of a construction worker in the UK is really scary. And, and people are working longer and longer into their careers and, and people are living longer. So, so we've got a need for good quality homes across the whole spectrum. Uh, that's a very good point, very well made. So, closing off, gentlemen, uh, what one thing would you like people to come away from this year's Resi Convention knowing about off-site manufacturing that they didn't already know? One, one, one piece of, uh, one myth that you'd like to bust, Tony DiCarlo. What, what one thing would you, would you like people to come away thinking, oh, Christ, I didn't know that. Didn't realise that. That's really interesting. Wow. I think there's huge production, there's huge, huge uh, uh, possibilities with offsite construction, whether it be timber frame. Uh, so, modular is not the only offsite system. There's plenty of systems that can offer uh, 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 reduced supply chain issues and a, and a higher level of pre manufactured value. So, our, our one thing, which is, I think it's been well documented, but it's, it's what drives part of our business, is the systemization of construction. Um, it alleviates a lot of the issues that are current and growing, whether they're supply chain issues or growing population. And that, that's the systemization of construction, which is what sort of drawn, drawn uh, off-site construction to us in the first place. To problems that the car industry solved in the 80s, basically. That's right. <laughs> Andrew Prickett, what, what, was your, what, was your one, what was your one myth-busting takeaway ideally be from this year's resi? Uh, I think for me around the offsite, it, it's this, yes, there is a need for standardisation, but that doesn't mean we can't have a design flair, doesn't mean we can't have innovation. We can have all of those things. We can have exciting homes, attractive homes, homes that we all aspire to live in, but maintaining an affordable price point. Fantastic. Well, that's a great way to end our session today. Thank you very much to Andrew Prickett from Faithful and Gold and to Tony DiCarlo from Inner Space. I have been Andrew Teacher, founder of Black Sock Consulting, and this has been a Resi podcast for Property Week. Thank you. Thank you.